our second Sunday in Lent, brings us to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, Psalm 121. Our second reading is from Romans chapter 4, and our gospel reading is John chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Well, peace be with you, my friends. I'm continually amazed when I daily realize more and more that God, our God, wants and desires to have a personal relationship with you and me. Now, I know in making that statement, for many within the Episcopal Church, I sound way too evangelical, and it makes Christianity sound way too simple. And in that, I stand guilty as charged. But I got to tell you that even though it is early yet in this Lenten season, the message I, I am hearing from God in my prayer life, in my reading of the scriptures, in my meditation upon those scriptures, in my conversations with friends, and even in my dealings with the larger organization of the structure of the church, the message I'm getting from God is, Jim, I want to know you. And I want to be with you, and I desire and long to love you. Let me in and let me love you. And now in saying that, I also realize that I'm being way more vulnerable in front of you than most other sermons or homilies you may have heard from me. And to some of you, that may be a bit of a turnoff, a bit disconcerting. You may gather from that statement that I don't always let God in. I don't always let God love me. And in that, I stand guilty as charged as well. I don't apologize for that. However, as I am sensing that in this moment of time, not only I as an individual, but we as a body of Christ, we as a society, a country, a world really, are in great need to let God into our lives (laughs) and into his created world and to let God simply love us. The question becomes, how do we do that? Well, from what I see in God's dealings with Abram in Genesis chapter 12, and then in John chapter 3 with Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, I see God, our God, coming after us. Not necessarily us going after God. But my deeper understanding of how to do this comes mostly from our psalm this morning, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills, and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121 is known as one of the Psalms of Ascent, meaning it was sung by the Jewish pilgrims as they climbed their way up to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem during the three major Jewish feasts of the year. It was a long upward journey from any point in the city to reach the temple. And with the lack of earbuds and headphones in those days, singing became the vehicle to help the throng along. Yet when I read Psalm 121, I usually take it to mean something like, when I look up and around me and see the trouble which surrounds me, I say, man, am I in some deep kimchi here or what? In other words, when I look up, all I see around me are mountains of difficulties and I have no idea where my help is to come from. Yet then, in my prayer life, when I allow my mind to quiet down, when I allow my heart to slow down, 
allowing my soul then to listen, allowing God in, allowing God to love me. The center of my being settles down and I hear God saying to me, do not be afraid, Jim. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's when I let go of myself and let God into my being that I no longer see the mountains surrounding me as obstacles to being known by God, but I see the opportunity to have the faith of a mustard seed and let God in. Let God allow to me, uh, let God allow to love me and let him to know me. Another way of saying it is, and you've heard me say it before, I let go of the ego drama and I enter into the Theo or the God drama I hear from God. Jim, let me into your heart, your life. Let me love you. This sense of hearing for us humans was lost in Eden, really, that open two-way love relationship between the Creator and the creation. When I read Genesis 3, I hear it in God's voice, don't you? In God's response to what Adam and Eve had done in eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Listen to the words from Genesis 3, uh, verse 8, just after they ate of the fruit. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord, Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And the man said, I heard the sounds of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, well, Who told you that you were naked? And when the man and woman explained they had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, what is this you have done? Can you hear the sadness in the voice of the Lord? Can you hear God's pain when it was revealed as to what had happened? This more than likely is what God must feel like when I hear God's voice and I run away because I know God sees me naked and I want to hide from God. I plug my ears to, where are you, Jim? Let me into your heart. Let me into your life. Let me love you with all that I have. And so we come to today's reading from the Old Testament from Genesis chapter 12, which comes just a bit after what had transpired in the garden, and also after what happened between Genesis 4 and Genesis 11, in which all hell breaks loose, really. It's in chapters 4 to 11 we read of the murder of Abel, Cain's brother, Noah's ark, and the building of the Tower of Babel. And then we come to Genesis chapter 12. After reading of the disaster happening in chapters 4 to 11, despite all of the creation's selfish desires, God, our God, still yet desires to have a relationship with his creation. And not only a relationship with his creation, God desires to keep humans employed in the original mission they had been created to do. And that mission is to be the reflection of the Creator into the creation. My friends, there is no God like our God. Search the sacred books of the world. Read the ancient philosophies of the Greeks. Go to the east and sit on the mountaintop searching with Zen. Only our God comes after us. Only the God of creation seeks out God's creation 
to have a relationship with us. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Here we see God seeking out Abram and asking Abram to trust God and to go to the land that God was to show him. God is saying to Abram, I want to know you, Abram. Abram, I want to love you. I desire to bless you so that you then may in turn go and be a blessing. Sounds crazy, especially if you know anything about the life of Abram. Abram is a highly flawed individual. And being highly flawed is not the crazy thing. The crazy thing is God, our God, still seeks and desires to know and then bless Abram. Now, it was a circuitous route of Abram's choosing to receive those blessings But nevertheless, God stayed true to his word, and despite the ups and downs of Abram's life, God blessed him so that Abram, in turn, would be a blessing to others. And how true this is, not only in Abram's life, but in all of our lives. The crazy thing is that despite our circuitous ways of living, our ways of running and hiding from God, because we know we are naked, the crazy thing is God, our God, still chases us and desires to know us, to be with us, to love us, and to bless us. And then we come to our curious brother, Nicodemus. John, the author of the gospel reading from today's reading, tells us that brother Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews. In other words, Nicodemus was a learned man a supposed upright and honest man, a man who knew the rubrics of the liturgy and easily navigated his way around his prayer book. John also tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, meaning after sundown, so that he would not be recognized by others. But this is John's gospel we are reading from, is it not? And in John's gospel, in most things we read, we see not only the literal meaning to a situation, but we usually find layered meanings to a situation. So when John tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, John not only means after sundown, but John may also mean that Nicodemus came to Jesus as one in the dark, or in the vernacular, Nicodemus was lost. He was lost like a golf ball in high weeds. Perhaps even Nicodemus knew he was naked, and he came to Jesus at night for good reason. He didn't really want to be seen or known. Here again, how not unlike us today. We often come to Jesus in our prayers, often at night, meaning after dark as we are about to enter sleep. But even more so, how often we come to Jesus metaphorically in our prayers, naked and in the dark. At least I do, and I least ho- uh, at least I hope you do as well. Now, here's a question for you. Why does Jesus even entertain this conversation with Nicodemus? I mean, what good would come of it? Jesus mostly spoke against the religious orders and rulers of Jerusalem. Jesus mostly had confrontations with the Jewish leaders of the day. Why does Jesus pursue Nicodemus? Simply put, Jesus loves Nicodemus. Jesus desires to know him, 
even in Nicodemus's darkness, even in his nakedness, even in his sin. Now, from our reading, we gather Nicodemus, despite being a teacher of spiritual matters, is a bit slow to come to a spiritual understanding of what Jesus is speaking of. And before we get too critical of Nicodemus, how often we too come to Jesus in our darkness and ask, What do you mean I must be born again? Or, What do you mean love your neighbor as yourself? And we ignorantly respond, Who really is my neighbor anyway? Or, What do you mean, Jesus? Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. I've got a nice 401k going here. And so we should not be surprised, my friends, when Jesus says, You must be born again. For in our flesh we are already born spiritually dead. And we must be born again in the Spirit to enter into life, abundant life, eternal life. And as I have said before, my sisters and my brothers, we are not on a journey from life to death, but we were born spiritually dead. Thus, that puts us automatically on a journey from death to life. And therefore, we must be born again in the Spirit to enter into that journey, enter into that life, enter into that eternal life with Jesus. And one final point, John tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Notice first what the text does not say. The text does not say, for God so hated the world, or for God was so utterly and totally disappointed in God's good creation, so he had to do something, or for God saw for God so thought we were just a damn mess, he finally had to wake up, come save us, and that was that. No, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. My sisters and my brothers know this, that the God of creation desires to love you. He wants to know you. He wants to be with you. God loves you so much that he sent his only son all the way down into our darkness. To bring us into his light. God knows you're naked. Stop hurting yourself by running towards the idols which you have created and running away from God. And then after you stop, turn towards him and let God know you. Let God be with you. Let God in and allow God to love you. Amen. Amen.